Some of us have lost our dreams for Nigeria. Part of what we're here to do this morning is to reawaken that dream. You know, as they were showing those slides and those pictures, I heard some people laughing. and reminded me of Sarah. In the book of Genesis, when, you know, God appeared to Abraham and Sarah and said, you will conceive. And Sarah laughed. And God asked, why are you laughing? He said, I didn't laugh. Because some people here and I say, I saw you laughing. I I wasn't laughing. I was just watching. And um, the God that showed Sarah what the end of her life would be like eventually made her laugh in in real, you know, real terms. And that's what I believe this morning, that very soon we will see Nigeria and we will laugh. In your lifetime and my lifetime, some things will change permanently. And it will be changed for the better in the precious name of Jesus. Do you have a dream for Nigeria? Do you have a dream for Nigeria? Some of us, the only dream we have is about how we are going to be in Nigeria, not about Nigeria. And we can't continue like that, really. Because it takes collective dream for us to see tangible realities. Yeah. It's so, it's so easy for me to dream about my family and um, how we should be fine in Nigeria, whether Nigeria is okay or not. And that's selfish, and that's what has kept us where we are. There's a force that comes with collective dreams that enforces tangible reality, touchable reality, reality that we can all experience and know that truly God is working in our nation. So the celebration of Nigeria's anniversary, independent anniversary, will not be complete without us actually rekindling the dreams that we have for Nigeria. That's why I celebrate uh, what um, these kids have done and the fact that uh, if we continue to have our children with dreams for Nigeria, then we have hope as a nation. Praise God. I'm sharing on what I've titled The Hope of Nigeria. And I want you to join me in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 28. I'll read from verse 18 to 20. And I'm going to take my second reading from, oh, did I say Genesis? Sorry, Matthew 28. Matthew 28 from verse 18 to 20. And I'm going to read also from Matthew 22. I take my first reading from Matthew 28 and verse 18. And um, I'm pausing for you to open your Bible because I know it's already on the screen, but I'm not going to read it. Praise God. We need to be careful that technology is not taking us away from things that work. One of the things that work is that a believer should have a Bible. All right? And I've interacted with many people in this church who tells me, yeah, pastor, my Bible is on my phone. And I agree with you, it's your Bible. Yeah. Even though you got the app for free, but it's your Bible. Yeah. And the Bible says, buy the truth and sell it not. All right? So I'm not against you having the Bible app on your phone, but that's called a mobile phone. 
Now, when you settle down for quiet time, you are not mobile, you are stationary. So you get a proper Bible that you can use for your quiet time with God. And then when you come to church, you are not mobile. You are sitting down now listening to me in the presence of God. Have a proper Bible. It doesn't have to be paper. But let it be something beyond the mobile phone. That's all I'm saying. It could be, you know, it can be a tablet, it can be anything, it can be normal paper Bible. But don't let the only Bible experience you will have as a believer be with your phone. Some people are not able to have quality, quiet time because the only Bible you have is on your phone. That's when they text you during quiet time. They call you. They're trying to cut a call when God is trying to speak to you. Which one do you want to hear? Your friend or God? Praise God. Yeah, I'm, I'm your pastor and the spiritual father of this house. So I'm talking now like I'm, I'm admonishing my family. And I need you to hear me and hear me well. I'm not trying to be old school in any way. I'm only saying that some things work and some things don't work very well. Praise God. On the go, you know, the Bible app on your phone is okay because it's a mobile device. To settle down to study the word of God in your closet, you need more than a Bible app on your phone. Yeah. And we are not ashamed of the gospel. So, we are not ashamed of carrying Bible to church. Because <laughs> of some people, the saving grace is their phone since they are ashamed of carrying Bible anyway. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Matthew 28. <laughs> Matthew 28. I'll read from verse 18. I'll keep saying what I just said now so I won't promise you that I won't say it next Sunday or Sunday after. Matthew 28, I'll read from verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you. Always, even to the end of the age. Amen, somebody. This passage of the scripture is what we call the Great Commission. The Great Commission. The commission given to us by Jesus Christ to go and make disciples and reaching out. This is not a great suggestion. It's a great commission. Is somebody still with me today? All right. Let's take the second reading for this morning. And I take it from Matthew chapter 22 and verse 34. I read 34 to 40. This is what we call the great commandment. These two passages are very critical to the New Testament believer. The great commission and the great commandment. Very essential to the New Testament believer. And I'm going to explain as I tie things uh, together. Matthew 22, I read from verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then, but when the Pharisees had, sorry, they gathered together then, then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, asking Jesus a question, testing him, and saying, teacher, which is the great commandment 
in the law. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The Lord bless the reading of his word. Now, the great commandment, they asked Jesus, out of all the commandments, the Ten Commandments, and all the bylaws that you see in Leviticus and all those places in the Bible, which is the greatest, which is the great, the one that Jesus, you say, this one is primary. And Jesus said, it's simple. The first, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind. And said, so the second one is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Because the truth is that the all of the Ten Commandments and all the Le Levitical laws, when you put everything together, they are premised on love. Because everything you see in the Ten Commandments, thou shall not covet your neighbor's property, thou shall not commit adultery, thou shall not kill. If you love your neighbor, you won't kill. If you love your neighbor, you will not take your neighbor's wife. If you love your neighbor, you will not commit, covet what does not belong to you, what belongs to your neighbor. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Jesus said, all the law and the prophets, all the books of the prophets in the Bible. In, in fact, invariably what Jesus was saying was that the entire Old Testament was premised on the, that, that, that first and second commandment. Now, the combination of the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, these two passages that we read this morning, is very critical to the New Testament believer and, the, and how we embrace them is what determines how we actually turn out. Is somebody still with me this morning? I said, are you still with me this morning? Let me digress a little bit by painting a scenario. We live in a nation where 70% of our 170 million population live under the poverty line, under $2 a day. That, that means for everything they need in a day, plus food, plus transportation, plus everything. They have access to less than 300 naira thereabout to meet those needs. That's the, the United Nations certified poverty line. And we have a little over 70% of our population living under that. So that's the average person that you see on the street. The average person you see on the street. That's, that's what they look like in Nigeria currently. Now, when a child grows up under that condition, there are certain things that are already, that will be in that child without the child making any effort. Right? The offshoot of poverty will be a part of the growing up of that child. Anger, resentment, bitterness. In fact, real wickedness. Go to public schools and see how they fight. They don't fight like your children fight at home. Blood must come out. I hope you understand what I'm saying. As in, they, they, when you see a child that is less than 10, hold a big stone and whack it 
on another child's head. There's something in that child that is evil, that has been brought in by all kinds of environmental conditioning and life experiences. Is somebody still following me this morning? Yeah. There's no child that is popped out of the womb wicked. No. We came in clean slate. Clean slate. Clean slate. Knowing nothing. Understanding nothing. Now, when you look at the trajectory of that child, child, the child goes into primary school, sees opportunity to bully other children, and, um, you know, develop more strength for evil. The child gets into secondary school, then he looks for his own type of people. This is the time that they have pen knife in their pocket, you know, all those kind of things, and just move around. That child, if nothing is done, gets into the university and becomes a court boy. Even if he's not a court boy, he becomes a prodigal son or daughter. Riotous living, wasting resources, living anyhow. You cross his path, he deals with you. Nothing is done. That same person gets out of the university system, gets into corporate Nigeria and becomes a crook. As in a real crook. Who will falsify figures, do all kinds of things. Doesn't care whose ox is God. Just behave anyhow. He finds his way into politics. Very crooked politician. Some of the type that we have currently. Extremely selfish. Doesn't care about, you know, anything. No dream, no real dream for Nigeria. Just leaving. Now, when somebody is going on such a trajectory, there is no other thing under this planet that can extremely change that trajectory outside of the gospel of peace. The heart of a man cannot be corrected by government policy. Some of us here lived with sap. Where did he end us? The heart of a man cannot be corrected by a better environment. You know what happens? When you put a, 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 a man or a woman who has garbage in his heart in a good environment, they bring the environment down to their level. Am I saying the truth this morning? Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. The Bible says the word of God is quick and powerful. There's nothing like it in the whole world. Quick and powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword. The Bible says it, it's piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is the discerner of thoughts and the intent of heart. That's how powerful the word of God is. That's how powerful the word of God is. Ladies and gentlemen, the church is the hope of Nigeria because we are the carrier of the good news, the gospel of peace. 
That gospel is the only thing that is powerful enough to turn the heart of a man or a woman and change the trajectory of the life of a man or a woman. Somebody stay with me today. When you look into our nation critically, one of the things that you see everywhere is that there seems to be death everywhere. And I'm not talking about only physical death. I'm talking about annihilation of life from sectors and systems. So we say educational system is dying. Sport is dying. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6 verse 23, says the wages of sin is death. And the gift of God is eternal life. Death dead. Trusting God to be able to explain this. See, the only source of death on this planet today, I mean things going down, things not working, the Bible says is sin. Primarily speaking, God created everything to work. By saying the wages of sin, it means when you talk about law of cause and effect, that means the effect of sin, the repercussion of sin, what you get out of sin is death. And it doesn't stop with physical death of human beings dying, but things dying. The Bible talks about Jesus in John chapter 1. The Bible says in him, was light. And that light is the life of men. That light shines in darkness, and darkness cannot comprehend it. Sin is not an idea. Sin is not an act. It's not, uh, sin is not lying. Sin is a nature. It's a phenomenon. The only thing that has been created to handle it, you know, when Ebola broke, we were looking for care for Ebola and what can handle Ebola. There are diseases that were found Man is very powerful, all right? We're flying big jumbo jet and machines in the, in, in the sky. We're going to the moon. We're finding uh, vaccines for diseases. But we have not been able to find an alternative remedy to sin. The only thing that handles sin is the blood of Jesus. Somebody stay with me today. And the greatest problem of humanity till tomorrow is sin. Bible says, out of sin comes death. So wherever you see death in abundance, it means there has been plenty of sin. And the wages have gone on rampage. Is anybody still with me here this morning? The only source of death is sin. When we live in a nation where everything seems... To, everything seems to be dying, it means that for us to bring a turn around, we must focus on the right things. We must focus on how we are waking the conscience of this nation. The Bible talks about consciences that have been seared with hot iron that does not feel anything again. Now, if Nigeria were to be a human being standing on the altar beside me here this morning, can you try to picture and describe what kind of a human being that person will be. If, just imagine Nigeria as a human being. He is callous, wicked, doesn't feel nothing. I think you are getting me now. 
The only way to awaken his conscience is for believers to embrace the great commission and the great commandment and do it facing Nigeria one soul at a time. How do we awaken the conscience of a nation? One soul at a time. One soul at a time. One soul at a time. Because the conscience of this nation has been seared with hot iron. For us to make any meaningful progress, we have to reawaken that conscience. And it's one soul at a time. One soul at a time. My challenge this morning is that God is counting on each and every one of us to be a part of the reawakening of the conscience of this nation. The reawakening of the conscience of this nation. God is counting on each and every one of us. In Isaiah chapter 6, when you read from verse 8, it says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go, tell the people. Time will not permit me to read everything. But when you read down, down there, God was telling Isaiah, See, this is what is going to happen. As I said, how long will this thing take? He said, you know what? It won't happen until there has been complete desolation where people are no longer walking on the road. Can I read it? Okay. So he said, make the heart of the people dull and their hairs heavy and shut their, their, their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their hair and understand with their heart and return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities are laid waste without inhabitants. The houses are without a man. The land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away. And the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. But yet, a tent will be in it. And will return and be, and be for consuming. A terrible tree or as an oak, whose storm remains when it is cut down. So the holy seed shall be its storm. Here, all that God was still prophesying about here through to Isaiah is that it may take time and everything may be cut down, but my church will still remain. There will still be a remnant, a storm from where I can grow from. The situation in Nigeria is looking similar, but it's not this bad. We must stop it so that it doesn't get to that point of real desolation. God will still do what he wants to do. But what is the point in wiping out everyone before God will start to rebuild? It's only when the elect, when the people who have a relationship with God remain completely silent that we will go on the path that Isaiah was communicating with God here. This conversation. May this never be the story of Nigeria. I said, may this never be the story of Nigeria. We need to reawaken the conscience of this nation. And like I said, it's going to be a person at a time, a person at a time, a person at a time, a person at a time. That's how we walk through it. As a round of this morning, I want to go back to where I started from. God wants contagious Christians. 
We just came out of the Ebola scare. So we understand what it means to contact something. For every disease to be transmitted, somebody must be willing to release something. Sneezing, coughing, you know, body fluid, whatever. You can imagine if nothing was done about Ebola, we probably won't be here now having fellowship and being able to sit, you know, around each other. Now, if Ebola can be transmitted that fast, I'm wondering what will happen if you and I actually become real contagious Christians. I'm going to talk more about this in the course of the month. Real contagious Christians who can transmit what it takes to wipe out the works of the devil. The devil has successfully silenced us. So we have Christians today who are not contagious. Our mouths are shut. They cannot sneeze Jesus. And the devil has gone on rampage all around us. It's time to turn that around. I said it's time to turn that around. Can I challenge you this morning? You cannot say you love God and you do, you do not love what touches the heart of God. Jesus said the greatest commandment is thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart. What touches the heart of God the most in the whole of the world is souls. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Souls, souls. I cannot claim that I love God and what touches his heart does not touch my heart. I cannot claim that I love my wife and the things that are important to her are not important to me. That is fake love. There are fake lovers of God. People say, why is it that uh, the churches in Nigeria are growing big and the country is not changing. We are fake lovers. Simple. Simple. We took a part of the Great Commission. We left the major part of it. We have stayed with the gospel of salvation which promises goody, goody. The work of discipling the nations. We do nothing about it. I hope you're still with me today. Jesus said, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And to disciple, the word disciples from the root word discipline. All right? It means there are standards, there are ways of life, there are things that have to be done. There's a difference between the civilian life and the military life. What's the difference? There are certain disciplines that anybody that has been commissioned into the military will go through on a daily basis. So it becomes a habit that shapes their life. That's why after they have retired, 20 years after retirement, the thing is inside their blood. They wake up at a particular time. You can't see them sleeping at a particular time. Yeah. When you see somebody who has been in the military, you always know. They don't work like pregnant women. As in, they, they, as in, notwithstanding their age, they are, am I saying the truth? Certain disciplines that they have lined up with, that's what it means to disciple. The church in Nigeria is so wide, but we're not deep. 
wide and shallow. We cannot continue like that. Or else we'll not be able to save this country. We must go beyond just the gospel of salvation to the gospel of the kingdom. Where we understand the words of Jesus and we're willing to transmit that word to other people. And we become real contagious Christians. Real contagious Christians. Real contagious Christians. Real contagious Christians. Uh, I was on a trip with my wife recently and um, we met this lady who happened to be a classmate in school outside the country. And she's black, but she's now a Jew. She's getting married to a Jewish person a few months from now. She started practicing Judaism a few years ago. We got, I mean, we're having lunch somewhere. Lots of people. And you know, the cultural thing is, um, even though I forgot, because they taught me in finishing school, that you don't stretch your hand to a woman. You allow them to stretch their hand if they want to shake you. All right? If you don't know, know from today. Your pastor is teaching you. <laughs> Praise God. I learned that in finishing school. All right? So you can greet a man and you can stretch your hand. But when it comes to a woman, when they stretch their hand, then you meet them halfway. Or you wait first. So I stretched, <laughs> I stretched my hand and I wanted to greet her. As my wife introduced her to me, she kept her hand back. She said, I'm a Jew. Or something. She said something like that. Just to let me know that she's not permitted to shake a man. And then my wife told me, she said, you know, she's, she has challenged me a lot. All through the class I knew her. All through the time I knew her in class. That from the first day class started, he told everybody in class, I'm a Jew. Now some things I won't do. So you understand. So all this uh, after class hangout, I'm not ready for it. This, this is why I am. This is why I am. This is why I am. My wife told me something. She said, you know, this lady just being in the class, I borrowed plenty of courage from her to declare to everybody who I am also. <laughs> but you see, that's how to be contagious as a believer. You know some people, you have worked somewhere now for three years. They don't even know you know the name Jesus, let alone that you are born again. The only time you talk anything Christianity is when you are in church. Say hallelujah, hallelujah. You have never said hallelujah somewhere else before. When you go to northern Nigeria, you enter a cab. A Muslim person enters. The first thing he will say is Alamdu the lie before he shut the door. So everybody arrange yourself. I'm a Muslim, I've come. But because I don't even want what I'm saying now to look like a Christian versus Muslim, I'm saying that we need to put ourselves in order as believers and make up our mind. Our Christianity is either contagious or it's useless. You don't gain say salt. If it is salt, you know. Make a mistake or point to your food. It will affect your taste. Simple. Light does not struggle with darkness. Have you entered your room before at about 8 p.m.? Every place is dark. You switch on light, and you see the light and darkness. They're pushing back. As the bulb was coming like this, darkness was now pushing it back. And then they started to struggle. Have you seen that before? No. You switch on light. Light feels everywhere. That's, that was how we were described in the Bible. 
salt of the heart, light of the world. Salt of the heart, light of the world. Make a mistake. You want to put half spoon of salt. Put full spoon. You have your own. It will do its job. Meanwhile, God scoop spoon. Put you in an organization. My salt. This one has lost a sever. No taste, nothing. No, not contagious. Nobody feels God in your presence. That has to stop. We cannot rescue this nation like that. That's what I'm saying. And this church is not just one of the other churches. We are on a mission. We have an assignment to make greatness come on. And I'll spend the rest of my active years declaring this and pushing this vision. I am on a commission. This is not a job. I'm not doing a job. I'm not a pastor by job. I have three degrees. I have many things I can do in my life. I have brain. I hope you understand what I'm saying. No, no, no. You, you just need to understand it. The way it's doing me this morning, I need to say the truth. See, <laughs> I am not from a pastor's home, so it's not a job I pick from home. My parents were Muslims. So it's not like uh, in my lineage, everybody goes to seminary and becomes pastor. No. God called me. I hope you are hearing me this morning. God called me and he gave me an assignment. And everybody that will be a part of this ministry, this is not one of the churches in town. This is a different type. And God is going to use this church to touch this nation. And we must line up with this commission, with the assignment that he has given us. Our salt must be salt indeed. Light indeed. We have an assignment to wake Nigeria up from its slumber. We have an assignment to awaken the conscience of a callous giant. Or else it will become a monster. And if you have watched all those, um, what do they call them? all those Terminator kind of movies, um, what do you call them? Sci-fi, they will make something and then the thing will be around and then it will become a monster and start to destroy everybody and everybody will run at task later and then somebody will get to the computer eventually and find a way to stop it. How many of us have seen those kind of movies before? All right. That looks like what we're playing with. If we leave this nation the way it is, things get out of control. It's going to be like a monster of a nation that is destroying its own and eating up its own. The only solution to it is to awaken and reprogram its heart. One soul at a time. How do we reprogram Nigeria one soul at a time? Somebody stay with me this morning. Yeah. We can, we can debug this program. We can take out the virus. That would be through the Great Commission and exemplifying and living out the Great Commandment. 
We're showing it one soul at a time. One soul at a time. One soul at a time. Somebody stay with me this morning. I said, are you still here? This morning, I want us to make a commitment. A commitment. A commitment. This celebration, this rep your tribe and everything we're doing will not be complete without us making a commitment. Something in my life and your life will start to reprogram the order of things in this nation. One of the simplest ways to do it is to commit to God that I will share the gospel. It's not a coincidence that it's this month of October that we're having the Mission 555 experience. And everyone must make a commitment to be a part of it so that our salt can sort somebody's life. Our light can shine into somebody's life. And gradually, it's not going to be magic. You know, there's different uh, of, uh, between magic and growth. I was sharing with a couple recently. I said, your relationship is going to get better. After I finish this counseling, I can't promise you that everything will change. There's a difference between growth and magic. Growth takes a process. Magic is abracadabra. Now. I can't promise you that before the end of this year, everything will start to work in Nigeria. But we'll start to see growth as we arrest the devil one soul at a time. Lift your right hand with me this morning and speak a word over this nation. Declare a blessing over this nation. Declare a blessing over this nation. The Bible says by the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. Righteousness exalted nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Just declare a blessing. In your little corner there, declare a blessing over this nation. Declare that Nigeria is blessed. That wasting and destruction shall no longer be found within our borders. That the Lord our God continues to strengthen this nation. That there shall be progress and meaningful growth in this nation. No more wasting and destruction. No more wasting and destruction. And secondly, this morning I need to make a commitment. Just like God was telling Isaiah, who shall go for us? Who shall we send? Somebody here this morning needs to say, Lord, send me. Send me. Send me to my friends. Send me to my colleagues. Send me to my neighbors. Somebody here this morning needs to say, Lord, send me to my family members. Enough of this apathy. Your cousin is on the first lane to hell and you, are, you don't care about it. John 14 verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except by me. There's no gain saying that statement. He didn't say, I am a way. I am the way, the principle. Not a way, the way. You can't know Jesus and other people are on the first lane to hell and you're smiling and, you know, wine and dining with them and you're not saying anything about the solution of how they can end up on the good side of eternal life. Somebody, I wanted to make a commitment this morning. Lord, use me to touch my family, to touch my colleagues, Touch my friends. Lord, use me. Somebody here this morning, I have to say, Lord, use me in my industry to bring a change. 
Let me build a life that will stop the death in my industry. 